0: I have a really fun guest for me today, for me, not for y'all, for me, <laughs> from beautiful East Tennessee at the foothills of the Smoky Mountains, or from the sandy beaches of Mogadishu. <laughs> if you're a libertarian, you know who I'm talking about already, Miss Sherry Voluntary. How are you doing today?
1: I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: I, I didn't screw up your your tags, right?
1: No, you did well. You did really well.
0: <laughs> yeah, I only watched you do it like 14 times.
1: <laughs> only 14? Right. What? Only
0: 14. <laughs> I've only seen every freaking video you've ever put out of the Sherry Voluntary Show.
1: That's way more so, than yeah.
0: yeah, I know. <laughs> All righty. So, Sherry. Yes. Yeah. Let, let's start with something simple. Let's just tell everybody about you since, obviously, we walk in a different circle than some people that may be listening.
1: Sure. So, um, my name is Sherry voluntary. And, uh, like you said, I live in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee and, um, I'm a mom of an 17 year old boy and a nine year old girl. Um, and I am a libertarian anarchist and a voluntarist.
0: All right. <laughs> That's good stuff. I am also a voluntarist, or at least a non-voting anarchist. I I don't know. I <laughs> I argue politics too much to really call myself a voluntarist. Yeah, I, I think guess most
1: most libertarian anarchists, I think a lot of them, anyways, call themselves voluntarists. But there is a slight difference. Um, I don't know if you want to go into that, but oh we might as well. Okay. Well, uh, so so a, a voluntarist. Is someone who doesn't believe in force uh, in any you know any eth- unethical use of force. So, as a libertarian, we would accept the non-aggression principle. Is that the only ethical use of force is defensively and never aggressively, um, or and and no use of coercion either. Uh, but um, which which does I'm not being very eloquent with this, but it does um, lend itself to voluntarism. Um, but you can be a like a, a, an anarchist and not be a voluntarist, I, I guess, like a lot of, you know, the aggressive type branches of anarchy would be. But um, a voluntarist uh, is someone who believes that all social interactions should be consensual, um, that governmental, whatever, there should be nothing. But a voluntarist also believes that people get to pick their own life and form of government even so um you know whereas as personally i'm an anarchist and i don't i don't want rulers i also can't deny other people their um desire or ability to make those rulers for themselves so if they want to consent to that fine but the problem with the system we have is we don't we don't get an option to opt out do we so
0: no it's kind (laughs) of a false false choice
1: non-consensually Yeah. So that's that's sort it's sort of a, a minor difference because most, most libertarian anarchists would agree with, with that, although there are there are some who would not call themselves voluntaries. Voluntarism isn't necessarily anarchism, is I guess what I'm getting at. Yeah,
0: it's it's non-politicalism, period. <laughs> yeah, I it's mean, just
1: about consent. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean um I actually went through Neither bullets nor ballots.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. My head
0: almost freaking exploded. Mm. (laughs) I mean, I understand it all.
1: That's a volunteer. I understood it all. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I understood it all, and it's very, very well written. And actually, I I agree with 90% of it.
1: Yeah, I've heard about it. I need to read it. Um, I think my friend Roger Paxton did an audio book of that.
0: He actually does. He did a weekly thing, uh, like a monthly thing. He would read sections of it.
1: Right. And okay. It, it, I so so good. Yeah, that's the first person I ever heard about it from was him. So that's where um,
0: I I heard it from, and that's why yeah. I, I picked it up.
1: I need to I need to get it because because um I've heard it's really great and um you know I mean it the, the lines are definitely blurred uh, between voluntarism and and libertarian anarchism um, because libertarian anarchism is, accepts you know private property and the non aggression principle so I think. In terms of other uh, forms of anarchism, it might be um, there might be more of a distinction. Yeah, um, because we we wouldn't seize the means of production from anyone. <laughs> like, yeah, that's fine. What we do. So.
0: Yeah, exactly. All right. Since we deviated on that, I, I that was, was probably bored. Of everybody who that. has
1: no idea oh, what we're doing.
0: Fuck them. They can they can enjoy something every once in a while. They can learn something. Yeah. Um, all right. So your childhood, how, how did you, how did you grow up? I mean,
1: well, um, so I grew up in mostly in a, a little mill town outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, it was a, uh, it's called Lupton city and it was a, a factory town built for the workers of, um, a cotton mill that was there. And my grandparents worked there. My parents had worked there. Um, although when when I was born, my dad, my dad uh, had a lot of mental issues, mental health issues. and um he quit his job, and i don't don't think he ever he worked some when I was a little kid. But like after my parents divorced when I was six, I don't think he ever worked a over the table job again, which you know, I don't care if it's under the table or over the table, but he never paid child support. so Um, uh, it was quite abusive quite impoverished. Um, we were homeless several times when I was a child and lived in, you know, tents or remember one of the houses we lived in had, uh, you could see through the slats, the outside. (laughs) So we stuffed it with like, um, newspaper to kind of break the wind. But yeah, so I, I came from a pretty, pretty poor background, pretty abusive. I'd say very abusive.
0: So so I'm sure that, that that affects your 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 mood later later on in life, you know, as far as depression, anxiety, that kind of thing. I'm, I'd imagine.
1: Yeah, I I think uh, I was reading somewhere that um, childhood abuse or neglect um, is a a very large indicator for people who suffer from mental health issues later in life. So, um, and then also depression. Um, not only was that my, my personal, you know, childhood, uh, where in regards to my parents, very abusive, but there was a history of dysfunction and abuse in my family, um, sexual and physical, uh, and alcoholism. So, and, and depression. So you have all of these issues kind of in, in my, my world growing up. So there were, there were a lot of things to overcome, you know, but, uh, thankfully my mom worked really hard to provide for us and to give us a better life. And, um, you know, without her, we probably, I would have ended up, you know, 13 years old and pregnant or something. So, um, you know, she, she really set us on another course, um, And by the time, you know, I was a teenager, my mom had, was able to, she had remarried and bought a house and, um, nothing fancy, you know, but they, it, it it took us out of that cycle of abuse. She really worked hard to, to get her mental health better and overcome a lot of the abuse issues of her, her upbringing. So that really helped us as well.
0: Yeah, that was definitely hard to deal with. Uh, like multiple multi-generation abuse type things, and then yeah. growing up without a whole lot. Yeah. The upside, you did have uh, have a, the support of a at least one positive role model of, of a parent, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it wasn't you know, my mom. Um, she she cleaned houses for years and years, and I started working with her when I was like eight years old, um, helping her occasionally, and you know, my sister and I uh, were on our own a lot, um. And then when she, she got remarried to my stepdad, I think it was 11 or 12, um, things, things really got better for us. And they got better for us immediately because after, you know, we weren't in a home where there was violence and poverty. So I mean, we were still impoverished, but it was better without the violence, right? So no, it,
0: that, everything was better without violence.
1: Yeah, that that came way up. Um, and I, I, I now I look back, and I would say there was still violence in our home. My mother was, you know, she spanked us, and like not, not not like regular spanking, you know, like what some people would consider just a spanking. Because I, I mean, I don't like an anyone.
0: allowable level if you're you know, yeah,
1: you know, yeah. more um probably more on the not so great side, but uh, in, in relation to what we had been through, yeah. it was way better. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, you know, it's all relative and, and you do what you know. My mom's a wonderful person and um, I'm really thankful for how she, she did, you know, bring us up and, and give us more opportunity because, you know, now I live a pretty great life and uh, my kids are going to have, they have, I mean, they're, they have all the indicators of things that will help them to be successful later in life. So um I, I'm really, I'm really, you know, fortunate and, and really thankful for that.
0: From the ashes we rise.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's where it's work,
0: but yeah. Yeah. Every time. Um I mean, I say the same thing about my parents. I don't agree with everything they did. And right. we weren't, we weren't maybe at the same level of poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were we were pretty poor for a good yeah. portion of my life. Um, and in the spanking thing, they've <laughs> been a little on the aggressive side a few yeah. times. Um, you know, but it it made me who I am, and it it made me the type of parent that I am now.
1: Yeah, I mean, and you you do it, you know. As as
0: the, yeah, exactly. You do what you know, and I know my dad, my parents both were raised pretty aggressively with spankings and things. Mm-hmm. And they were both raised relatively poor, and so I mean, you do what you have to do to survive, and yeah. sometimes aggressive action is what you need. And that, it made me who I am. I'm pretty successful you know. myself.
1: <laughs> I, I, I don't I like I said. I don't agree way. with it.
0: <laughs> I don't agree with it because I I found it easier, but I also have things that my parents didn't have at their disposal. Right. You know
1: exactly, and you know you can only go as far as you've been taught. So. People, it, it, sometimes it just takes, it takes us getting older and looking back and going, you know, I think I'm going to try something different. And yeah, uh,
0: exactly. Yeah. Now, I mean, if I could go back and tell my dad, Hey, you know, whipping this kid's ass is not going to really help him. He's just going to revolt farther. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think he would have listened to me, but
1: yeah. I think that all really contributes to feelings of separation and depression too. You know, if you, um, if you're being, you know, basically beaten or or spanked too aggressively by your your parents, uh, you know, it's it does sort of drive a wedge. And and my goal is to always, you know, um, try and incur my children's, especially my older son. He's 17, so you know he has a lot more responsibility for his own life. Um, and and I, he's six five. I'm not, you know, there's no physical force that's going to work anyways. <laughs> and so I. You never uh,
0: met my mom. <laughs> yeah, well,
1: I mean, I could, but I could try anyways. But, you know, I, I realized, because I did start off as a more authoritarian parent with him and spanking and all that. And then once I became a, a libertarian and a voluntarist, I really started learning more about um, different ways of parenting. And I, I left my religious group, too. That had a big impact on on how that, I handled things. I really but,
0: wanted to ask you about if you're willing to talk about it, because yeah. I know that been a traumatic thing too and i'm i'm just curious because i've not really held heard too much in depth on that
1: sure yeah um so i'll just finish this thought and we can yeah, talk about ahead. that if you want but um I, I i did start out doing that and i realized that i was using a sort of might makes right you know uh, parenting style with well do it because i said so or do it because you're going to get a spanking if you don't or you know and 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 While it might seem to be effective in the moment, does it really contribute in the long run to developing the kind of relationship where, you know, you can trust your 17 year old to to guide and direct their own life? Like, I don't tell him what to do. I don't I don't like he asks me usually, hey, can I go over to so and so house? But I I don't. I've told him like you, you get to choose what you're doing in your life now. And um, he he lets me know, and he he does usually ask me, but I, I don't really control that anymore because I figure if he's if he's gonna do something, he's gonna do
0: it. Right? I mean, trust <laughs> like, trust earns respect.
1: respect, right? So, but I I've, I can trust him because we've developed that kind of relationship where it's not out of like with my parents, they were uh, they 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 often said no to things, just kind of preemptively because they, you know, they're raised with this idea that kids are going to do things. I think it's a lot of people. They raise children with um, love, but it's an upside down V where they give them too much freedom when they're young, which was not the case in my mother's, my parents um, case. But but they give them too much freedom when they're young. And then as they get older and the consequences of them being able to do whatever they want um, are are greater uh, then they start to feel you know, a little afraid of that, which as a parent, I understand that. And so they start to try and close off that freedom We're at a time when, you know, an adolescence is when a, a, a young person is supposed to be branching out and experiencing the world more independently. Starting to
0: experience life.
1: Yeah. So when you start to, you know, bring these clamp downs, then that gives them the rebellion. I think that's where that gets the wrap from. I, I didn't really go through that with my, my son um, because I believe in you start them out very, not, I wouldn't say strict, but very structured. Um, and you teach them because I believe I hold my children's rights in, in trust basically. They, they, they grow and as they grow and, and understand and get more responsible then they, they earn those. So like, for instance, um, when my kids were little, you get to pick your, you know, I would pick their clothes for them when they were young and then I would teach them, okay, it's cold outside. So we wear these kinds of clothes. And as you know, I might then start av- having, okay, you get to pick your shoes today. What kind of shoes would you pick if, if we're going outside? And if they pick flip-flops, well, I know Well, they're not ready. They don't understand. And they, they don't have the ability yet to, to have good judgment and be responsible. Um, if it's, you know, cold outside and snowing and they're picking flip-flops. So, You know, that, that would be an indicator to me. So they would need more teaching. So once they were able to do that, they get to take that on. Now, my nine year old, I don't pick any of her clothes out. I don't tell her anything like that. I will give her, um, sometimes when she tries something on, we'll talk about, well, is this appropriate or not for a young lady of nine? But, um, and then, you know, I, I would definitely, she, she always has uh, thus far has said, yeah, I agree um and i'm sure that might change at some point but you know that's that's part of the parenting process is the teaching part of it and so that way when she's 13 she'll know how to dress appropriately and she'll know you know that i expect her to be responsible and you know it's 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 building that into them so that you don't you give them less to rebel against i guess is my my sort of um parenting style is, is I want to give them as little to rebel against as possible because I'm, I feel like I'm their coach, you know, and their guide, not, not their overseer or taskmaster.
0: But Um, at the same time, you're not their buddy or their friend. You're kind of uh, loosely loosely. I don't mean that you're not emotionally involved and you're not close. I just mean that, you know, it's, you're coaching them before you're friending them.
1: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I've i heard that phrase a lot. You know, I'm your parent, not your friend. And I, I don't know, I used to believe that. Now I, I kind of question that because I'm like, well, I am their friend too, but I'm a friend that has a special position in their life as their coach. You know, I guess well, that's, that's, the that's, that's what I mean. Is semantics, it's semantics, you know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's,
0: it's, you're like, I mean, I'm a friend with my oldest. and. Yeah. I use dad voice and that's all I've ever really used on either one of my kids really. I use dad voice. I'm like, no, don't do that.
1: Right. And I get it. Like people are probably out there going, yeah, like you people are crazy. This isn't going to work, but you know, it, it comes after developing that kind of relationship with your children. It's not going to work if you've had a very authoritarian parent, parenting style. And then, you know, you start to change. It's going to take some time, but I, I feel like I, it's my job as a parent to earn my children's trust and, So that they know like my son, you know, he he's like said he's 17, but I'll tell him, you know, I'm not peaceful with what you're you're proposing right now. And he's he's learned to respect my um, judgment enough and to understand that I always have his best interest at heart that he he listens to that. So that's the kind of that's the kind of relationship I want. It it doesn't have to be like oh well they'll grow out of it. Like some stuff, yeah. Like they have pissy moods or whatever. My kids are kids, and I you know I don't have one I have one young adult, but um, it, it takes developing the kind of relationship and and like not a they'll just grow out of it mentality because I think a lot of parents think that like oh they're just in a rebellious stage. Well that, that alleviates you of all responsibility of what you might have, you know, contributed to this rebellious stage. And, and I'm not saying that, you know, all children are the same and there may be some that are just, they're going to rebel no matter what you you do. And they just don't, you know, that's, that's life too. But, um, I, I, I've, I've just tried to raise children with them that, you know, incurring their trust and respect because, you know, I I know a lot of people believe respect is earned. A lot of authoritarians will say that respect is earned, but they don't really try to earn that with their children. No, And I think that should be your, you know, one of your main priorities that not to get the, you know, your the respect of your friends or whatever over your, your children, your children, you know, and it, it takes work. It's not easy. And it's, it's, it's not like, I think violence, because I'm, I'm a person who used to spank my, my son when he was little, um, that was an easy fix, but, you know, it, it got him to do what I wanted at the point at that point sometimes, which he hardly ever had to get spanking. He was a really easy kid. But, um, you know, I, I realize now that most of those times, at least probably all of them, I could have used a different tack and um, gotten a better result with a, a clo- you know, a better closer relationship while, you know, nurturing that relationship, even when there's conflict in it so um because i don't get to hit other people and make them do what i want so i just uh
0: i know right you know. that's a shame
1: yeah <laughs> this is not about spanking though so, yeah. <laughs> i'm sorry i got it all all over the place here <laughs> but but no, those close, i guess what i was saying is those close relationships the more you nurture relationships the closer you're going to be and that contributes to better mental health and lower Absolutely. lower depression and and in um children
0: those are big indicators of their future mental health so absolutely i i know as a child not even as a child as a say a young adult i had depression issues i actually went to counseling before i i enlisted yeah because i had anxiety issues and stuff mm-hmm. i was a freaking weird emotional kid now mm-hmm. i'm just numb but i still have issues <laughs> mm-hmm. but i mean it was partially my parents were really really strict when i was young mm-hmm. very protective you know yeah. But as I got older, they were kind of wishy-washy.
1: Yeah. It's, <laughs> they let me
0: do what I wanted to do until right. it wasn't what they wanted me to do. And then it was real tight. And I'm like, wait, you can't give me the freaking rope and then just yank on it.
1: Right. It's, you know, it's, it's a lot of, a lot of people do. And, and I've been guilty of it myself at times, parenting out of fear. Um, but they don't know a, a different way. Like people tell you, there's all these like things like, you know, I'm what we said before. I'm your friend, your parent, not your friend. And. You know, spare the rod, spoil the child. There's all these things out there, but no, how many people really know how to parent?
0: Yeah you feel like nobody... people that write these books don't have a fucking clue what they're doing. Well, I,
1: I don't even know I mean, I, I read a lot of books that I think were helpful, you know, maybe not the whole book, but I'd, well, I'd yeah. take tips from them but but I don't even know that many people that read those kinds of books. Like most people it seems to be when they have kids they the, when they start reading is when they can run into a problem. But most people feel like they're equipped to do this when you know my we don't necessarily unless you have really great parents, which some people do, then you might not know how to parent the best way, but I don't think a lot of people think about that and so I know I didn't you know i I, I basically raised myself and my sister and my little brother when I was twelve when he was born and um I had him a lot so I felt like i I knew. I knew how to change diapers. I knew how to feed a baby. I knew how to do all these things, but but that was far different than actually having the responsibility of raising and nurturing a child uh, with the goal of having an adult in mind. And that's I've always I'm I'm raising adults. You know, I, I am. I, I might sound like a some softy, but I, I'm 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 very serious about the things I'm serious about manners and, and treating each other with kindness and dignity and respect in my home. That's, that's really important to me. So, um, you know, those, those things are still there. I'm not, you know, a complete like, Oh, do whatever you want kids. But I I also have just learned a different way of, of
0: parenting. Oh yeah. I mean, there's, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Yeah. (laughs)
1: And each yeah, kid is different, you know. I you, didn't. You I to- didn't
0: just country myself out there. <laughs> if you've never had a cat, it's fucking delicious.
1: Hmm. I've had dog. I haven't had cat.
0: <laughs> Maybe I'll eat different things in the hills. <laughs> right. All right. So back to trauma. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so you you were part of. Well, we, I mean, we did discuss
1: yeah, things religious. that
0: cause trauma with child, but, but, um, back to your story.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I was in a, a religious, uh, cult is a very,
0: um, inflammatory word.
1: Yeah. But I would say it, it's a cult. Um, it, it's, uh, definitely a non-traditional religious community. Let's call it that maybe, <laughs> uh, but, but most, most, you know, mainstream Christians would call it a cult. And, um, it, it wasn't all bad, but the price that you pay for it was really high. But I think, I think the thing that, um, well, I was involved for 27 years, uh, from the time I was 13 until my late thirties. And so, um, I, I think that part of the thing that left me vulnerable to that was I was really looking for a place to belong because I had grown up um, with, you know, these, these issues between me and my parents with abuse and neglect and, um, you know, with the, uh, just really wanting to belong someplace I felt really, really loved. And, um, you know, that's why kids join gangs too. Um, they want a place to belong. And, and I I make it a point to tell my kids all the time, like my my real last name is Clark. I'll say, you're, you're a Clark and we, we're Clark's you're Clark. And we don't do that. Or you're a Clark and we, we do this, you know, like I, I let them know they belong here that this is the place where they will always belong. And so, um, to just sort of give them that soft place, you know, to fall, uh, or spring from. So, um, that was really what I was looking for. I was looking for a place to belong and for a purpose and direction. um, And the kind of guidance that I didn't get, you know, I also almost joined the military, which I know we had talked about, you know, we've personally talked about many times, but. um,
0: That's a religion in its own.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I dodged that bullet, but I think that's why a lot of people join the military too, is that, you know, getting out of high school, that time in your life is very, very you know it's a huge transition it's very scary and when you are are looking for something to give you structure and purpose well there's the military and boy they can come right into your school and and recruit you can't they not, not unlike any other uh kind of of organization they can come right in there so um i think that that's
0: just like a, anywhere um anywhere uh, a college recruiter can come and recruit you for college that's where the military is allowed to come.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's, it's
0: pretty jacked up. Yeah. And, I mean, they do that on purpose. Yes, they these, do. They, these you're kids vulnerable. don't know where they're going. Yes, they don't know what to do. They're just kind of vulnerable. looking for that guidance.
1: Yeah. They're predators. Yeah. I mean, let's just say yeah. what it is. They're predators. Yeah, it's, they're it's very vulnerable. predatory for sure. So, um, and I know a lot of people feel like even if they, you know, have different opinions on their their military time, career now, um they still feel like they benefited a lot from from the things some of the things that they did and learned. And then that's true. I feel like I benefited a lot from from a lot of the things that were in this group I was a part of. but there none of those are things you can't learn elsewhere, right? So yeah, it's exactly. just it's a it's a package that it pulls you in and it has a lot of those those things. but uh, my the organization um that I was a part of, it sort of came out, it didn't sort of it came out of. It started in the 30s, but it really took off when the um, leader went to the Haight-Ashbury section of San Francisco. And a bunch of hippies, like two or 300 hippies, followed him home to his farm in Ohio. Um, So it started sort of out of the the hippie Jesus freak movement. Um, And then by the time I joined, that was sort of, they were in a transition period. The man who started it had died a couple years before and new leadership had taken over and a lot of people had left and there had been some, you know, animosity or whatever. And so it started becoming like, it was, it was still pretty kind of hippie ish when I got involved and then it became more and more militant over the years. And, um, it's leadership program was always designed after the Marine Marine Corps, uh, training for one, but it became more, um, regimented and structured for just the, the layperson as well. So, you know, it got to the point at one time where we weren't to go anywhere alone and, um, we were supposed to be two by two always, you know, at least have someone else with you. And even if you were traveling out of state, you were supposed to let the coordinator of each state that you were going to go through, even if you were just driving through, you know, a little piece of it and wouldn't be any long, you were supposed to send paperwork and let them know you were going to be there so that you were, spiritually protected and covered like this whole this whole idea that you you know you have to have people watching over you and, and protecting you at all times or, or you're somehow in danger um that was that was you know where it got to I remember even at, at one point we lived in a house with some other people um and uh one of the ladies that was in leadership that we lived with I was folding my clothes and there was a hole in my underwear and she like reproved me about (laughs) having this hole in my underwear. And, (laughs) you know, like I was like, this isn't your business. You know, I couldn't say that, but, you know, there was a lot of stuff like that where, where, you know, we're micromanaged and and it's like much of the American populace now. Um, At some point you get to where you don't have to be policed anymore. You police yourself and you police each other. And that's sort of, you know, where we're at as a society right now is is th- they don't have to have enough police to 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 do everything they they want to do because pol- people will police each other. I mean, just look at this COVID stuff and oh, yeah. snitching, ratting out their neighbors for having gatherings or whatever. Oh, it's, you're
0: you're having a barbecue.
1: Yeah, I'm yeah. calling the cops.
0: So that oh, was you got somebody doing your roof,
1: right? I am. So I, that was the the religious group. And once I left that too, which I I became a libertarian. And that's really, I already was looking for a way out, shall we say. I was trying to figure out how to, how to leave or how to, I just, I didn't agree with everything.
0: You were starting to notice that it just wasn't something right.
1: Yeah. And I, I, there were things that I, I definitely, Always really didn't agree with, but um, I just felt like I was wrong. You know, you feel you start to feel like, well, that's not that that I think they're wrong. There's something wrong with me because this is what God says, and of course, everything you think is what God says is what they they say it says. So yeah, or he says so. It's um, you know, you it's it's this mentality that you get of of always looking to yourself as the the wrong party. Instead of saying, "Well, I think this is wrong," you you start to lose that sort of um, judgment of of well, it's okay to say that something's not right and you're not comfortable with it. You you feel like you have to take everything because if you don't, then you're not doing God's will. And
0: you kind uh, of end it, up looking like a turd in the punch bowl. Yeah,
1: you just you just you police yourself and and you 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 bend yourself to the will of, of the group and, you know, the authority. And, um, so yeah, it was leaving that group. Um, there was some, you know, depression there. Cause it, it was a community, you know, of nothing else. Um, I loved those people and I still love some, a lot of those people. Um, I don't have really, I don't have hatred towards them, towards most of them anyways.
0: They're just misguided in your view at least.
1: Yeah. I just don't want to be a part of it, but, yeah. um, you know, I, some of the practices that they had done at one point were are not occurring anymore. But I, I still I want to be in charge of my own life. And I don't I don't want anyone telling me, you know, I need to speak a certain way or that was, you know, there there's always in group speak. You know, they have certain ways they use words that are different than the outside. It's just like the military in that way, too. Um, And and other organizations, any organization you're a part of generally, they'll have their, you know, insider speak things that they understand that not the average person would understand. Uh,
0: But there was a lot of
1: policing of, you know, like we weren't allowed to say, just be honest with our feelings. For one, our feelings were very, um, our emotions, you know, our emotions are subject to our logic. And I, I believe that still that that should be the case. But I also, there was a lot of unimportance placed on emotions that your emotions don't matter. And I don't think that's true. Emotions do matter.
0: I mean, why would we have them?
1: Right. They're good for you and, and you have to deal with them. Otherwise you end up with a lot of other problems. And so, um, there, there was just this sort of, um, like denial of our humanity, even that we are supposed to be like these kind of, you know, I call them Bible bots or whatever and do whatever's asked of us without questioning. And, you know, always go down with the ship basically. And, and so that was, you know, something when I, when I left, I, I did feel like this was the the good side of it is I never moved anywhere. And I've moved cross country many times. I never moved anywhere where I had to move myself in or didn't have help packing and getting ready and, and cleaning. Like we helped each other. We lived together. Um, we ate many meals together. We, we did lots of projects together. You know, it was, it was a real community and that's, that's not easy to find in this world anymore. So that's no, really hard not. to let go. So, um, uh, that, you know, becoming a libertarian and, and understanding, starting to understand the difference between authority and libertarian, um, or authoritarian and libertarian, I, I, I sort of broke free of that, but then Once you start seeing the world in a different way too, uh, as a libertarian, I think a a lot of libertarians go through this depressing period because you recognize that, wow, the world is not what I thought and it's a lot different. You know, like that sort of the verse that's from the Bible that says with knowledge, knowledge increases sorrow and sort of that sort of thing. You see, you see how crappy some, you know, the system of the world is and it can be kind of disheartening. So
0: kind of the farther the veil lifts, the worse it gets and you're like, crap.
1: Right. It, it can be, it can feel that way. So you have to, you have to look for the good cause there's a lot of good in the world. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, when, when you're, you know, a lot of us are really passionate and we tend to focus on um, the political sphere, you know, and, and our criticisms of that. And that can, that can lead to depression because if you know if you're that's what your focus is always on I think that's good to step back and recognize that there's more to life than this that even though yes I'm a tax farm you know cattle I'm tax cattle but there's more to my life than that and so yeah I'm gonna pay my property tax even you know even though I don't want to, this is least I do. I'm going to
0: do this just enough to keep myself yeah, out of jail. just
1: Stay under the radar and not, you know, like accept, okay, this is where this, this world, where i my time and place is right now. And if I don't do this, they're going to put me in a cage and that's really going to like, this tenders my freedom. That's really going to ender my freedom. No, absolutely. Um, so a kind of an acceptance, but still fighting. Like I, I still want to fight it, but I, you know, I've, I've come to learn that I just want to minimize the state's interference in my life as much as possible and that there's so much more good than there is bad. So it's good to pull back from that and focus on other things at times, because it's easy to see everything as doom and gloom when you look at that stuff, because it's, it is bad. It's really bad. It's only getting worse, but, um, you know, we have to we have to focus on some better things, too, and positive things in our, our relationships because, you know, we got to keep ourselves healthy.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it'll drive you nuts. Yes. I've actually will. come to start realizing that, um, yes, we have a large, relatively large movement wanting to free things up, right? But I've always been one that said, lead by example. Mm-hmm. I think that's the only way you're really going to do it is kind of in the sense of Hitler saying, you know, you have to educate the kids. Sure. We have to educate the kids. The state's doing it. Right. Educate your own freaking kids. Teach them the right thing. And even if your kids are in public school, (laughs) Mm -hmm. teach them the things under the table that the government's not teaching them. And teach them the right I things. I would say,
1: unteach them the things that the government is teaching and them is usually kinda,
0: the, the. That's kind of what I mean. <laughs> if you're taking it and you're, you're just, I mean, the government tells you this, and then I tell you this, and it's the opposite right. thing. Trust and, me, I'm probably not lying to you.
1: Yeah, you know, and, and a lot of it is like, look Especially and, If you can back it up. Yeah, certain areas, schools are better than others, you know, by degrees. But this is one of the things, like, I live in, you know, supposedly neoconservative, let's call that neoconservative East Tennessee. And, um, you know, a lot of people around here are all about their family values and stuff. But even here, there was a questionnaire several years ago going through the public school where they were asking the kids, do your parents smoke or drink or do drugs? Do they ever yell? You know, they're just like these very, do they own guns? That kind of
0: thing. Yes.
1: Do they own guns? Those kinds of things. Where basically they're trying to undermine parents, and and I I just I don't want the government asking my kids questions about our home life like that. Like, you know, you you have these kind of people who. Uh, this is going on even in you know what, what we would call ultra neoconservative East Tennessee. So. Uh, it's everywhere you're not going to get away from it the public school system is set up to indoctrinate your children that was always the prussian school model if you look at it it was always the purpose yeah. to raise good factory workers so they want you smart enough to push the buttons and pull the levers but dumb enough you know dumb enough to buy their line and not revolt that's that's what they yeah, want absolutely. that's it's by design
0: if i remember <laughs> right the prussian school model is based off of the prussian military <laughs> model which yeah. we've been using since the Civil War or pre Civil War, I believe. Mm. So we've been indoctrinating people for a long, 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 freaking yeah. time.
1: Yeah. And now you're looking at generations of indoctrinated people. So
0: yet we're the land of the free and right. all that bullshit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, see, see what, see what you do to me, Sherry. I see know. what you do to me. A political sense. podcast, completely freaking anarchist today.
1: Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> 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 you know, and it's, 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 it takes a minute. Like when I first, I realized that those things sound very radical to people who might be hearing them for the first time. They were radical to me at first too. But you know, I believe in radical freedom and I believe in radical personal responsibility. Absolutely. And I, once you start to see it, it doesn't, it doesn't become radical anymore. You recognize it for what it is. And it takes maybe some research and reading on your part. If you, if you aren't familiar with that, um, but if you really realize how much social, um, control the state exerts over your life through public schools, you would not put your kids in those public indoctrination centers. That's what exactly. they are. I, even my, my son, when he, he went to public school till fourth grade, um, he, th- their, their PTA slogan for one year. Was growing green giants. What the hell does that have to do with school? That's all social indoctrination. And, and it's not just that. It's teaching them to jump when a bell says jump, uh, to do what the authority says that they're like, you, I mean, teachers have often in school like do what I said just because I'm the teacher and that's what you do. You're supposed to respect your teachers, right? And like I teach my children to be respectful, but truly respectful, not yeah. just obey obedient drones but respectful but also respectful of themselves and their individual rights first I mean you
0: can say no and be respectful absolutely (laughs) I I learned that
1: yeah why is why is a simple no disrespectful that's what I want to like why is just saying no or no thank you why is that disrespectful I you know I think there's a lot of you know the yes sir no sir yes ma'am no ma'am like if that if that floats your boat fine but It's not necessarily disrespectful that they don't use those those, you
0: know, titles or whatever. So I would actually say that a lot of this contributes to a lot of the mental issues that not just that a lot of say post post millennial younger millennial, but younger millennial post post millennial kids are having nowadays Mm -hmm. because they don't know what to do The, the systems indecisive. There's no actual set amount of set rules. They change them all the time. Right. So that that kind of causes, could cause some no, it's not including the kids that are actually having issues <laughs> like ADHD. So.
1: Right. It's, shoot. Yeah, I mean.
0: <laughs> Plus they like, want to put every kid on medication.
1: School is always, I always had a hard time with school and not academically. I'm bright and my t- my teachers would always say that. You're so bright. You could do. Don't teach you know,
0: her you know, her he- or your don't teach your own horn, Sherry.
1: Yeah, well, I mean,
0: it's not, it's not
1: hard to stand out in public school, is it? Really? I mean, <laughs> I,
0: I think don't know. As a C are. student, I stood out because I was
1: high. Yeah, I think, I think most kids are born with their own genius, and then school is what rips that out of them. Um, it's like putting a fish in a tree and telling it, "Why aren't you? Why aren't you growing and thriving? You're a fish in a tree. You don't belong. Why <laughs> aren't you there. flying already?" Right, it's not a system set up to to help each individual grow into the best person they can be. That's not its its purpose. That's why I homeschool no, my kids. No, it's mass parents. training. Yeah, because I I I want to give them that individual. You know, my my kids are very different and and they have different uh, interests and they pursue them with passion. And they've learned so much through those interests more than school could ever teach them. We go on field trips, like we do all sorts of things. We travel because we can, those are experiences that, that really grow, you know, great people. And, you know, we have these adventures. They don't get to do that in school very often anymore. I mean, most of the schools around here don't even get field trips anymore. They are, if they do it, I think when it's like
0: to the local park or some crap, right, it
1: was like two, one or two a year at that, the point when my son was in fourth grade, I don't even think they get them anymore because it's just too much of a liability and all that stuff. But you know it's not it's not meant to bring up an individual who's well adjusted and, and like truly well adjusted um, you know the, the question of socialization gets asked a lot when you're a homeschooler and i'm thinking what are you talking about school is not meant it's not meant to socialize people it's meant to it put you in a peer group where you benefit more from intergenerational or, or interpeer group um, relationships that's what socializes you. I mean, we've had thousands and thousands of years before public school was around and people were never socialized before that. No, it came from communities. That's where you should get yourself. Your family is your first community and then your your neighborhoods, all those things. Your, your religious affiliations, those are your communities. Those are the th- places that you should get that um, social instruction, uh, not sure. from the state-sponsored school. And so... Um, that wants to, that has its own motives and agendas for the way it wants you to behave. Uh, so I think that's, that's been a big, big um, detriment to freedom in this country, uh, has been just raising obedient little worker bees that, you know, pay their taxes. the We had some of the best,
0: um, the best leaps in history prior to the Department of Education. Yeah. Uh, even prior to, I mean prior to public school. I mean, you had community schools They were, you know, sometimes one or two rooms in a freaking tiny building, right. You know, with whoever was teaching it and they would be multi-generational like that.
1: Absolutely. That one room schoolhouse model is actually a really, really good one because kids who are more advanced have access to that advanced learning and they can do that work. And kids who are needing a little bit more help, they get that they can get that, you know, specialized attention. I I know that there are several like, you know, third world countries where parents will pay a teacher to come into a village and teach their children and they're getting a better education than they get at the schools here because it's individualized and the kids are working together. And it's the Montessori method is, is a lot like that too, where you have, you know, kids in different there, they have age ranges that they're with. So, you know, you don't, it's like throwing a kid into a pool and telling them, learn to swim. Like, that's what you're doing with kids their own age. They're not, they're going to learn the things that peer group knows. They're not going to learn those advanced things that older kids know. So homeschoolers, I know, have a reputation and it's, it's, I think, mostly deserved of being usually pretty respectful, well-adjusted kids because um, they, they get the benefit of that. They're usually not always, but there's a lot of times where they're in a, a peer group or a an age range so they can learn from their older siblings or o- older kids in their co-ops or groups or whatever. Um, but I you know, and, I, and maybe that's strange. Maybe I know a lot of people view homeschooled kids as as weirdos, and some of them are I mean, come on, some of them are, but some of it some is some of them are
0: because their parents make them that way
1: right but some of them are because the world is a strange place not them yeah. it's because the what you've been taught is is okay and great is like i want my kids to be weird if that's what it it means like that they can think for themselves and i mean actually really think school isn't set up to teach you how to how to really think it's ta- it's set up to teach you how to regurgitate information that is not exactly. intelligence that's regurgitating information Intelligence, you develop that by learning how to critically think, and so um, I, I, my kids do that, and I love it. My my nine year old can slay a lot of like.
0: Oh, I bet she could a out lot of debate adults,
1: me. Well, with <laughs> just her her logic, a lot of times, and she'll look at something and go, "Well, that's just really dumb," and I'm like, "Yep, <laughs> you're uh, right, Emmy, you got it."
0: My fourteen year old, we will uh, uh, we will talk about something. He's like, that's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yes. How does he get it? But other these yeah. th- these adults have no freaking clue what's going on. It's just this is what's going on. And then uh, the problem is adults throw too much complicated. But uh, well, what about this scenario? No, no, you're overthinking it.
1: Right, or they look at issues. <laughs> this, is right? problem, and this
0: is the stupid solution that they're looking at.
1: Right, or they, they look at issues rather than principles. Yeah. I think that's the biggest difference between people like us. um, libertarian anarchists and and many other people is that we have principles and those principles guide us on the issues whereas most people they've never really taken the time to like delineate their principles they go, i'm a republican or i'm a democrat and they think whatever that means to them is what they think how they follow well i'm 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 pro you know i'm i'm pro-life so i must be a conservative republican and i'm pro-choice so I must be a liberal democrat when really on many of those issues they're the same people not necessarily on that one but but like there are so many issues where um you know like like, like the pro the pro-life right certainly is not pro-life when it comes to the lives of the people we
0: invade constantly
1: or <laughs> the anti-war
0: left is not so anti-war exactly. when their person when, is in yeah when it, or
1: when Hillary Clinton wants to you know Bomb brown kids. So, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, they, that's that's being guided by issues and not principles. And so, um, you know, I always tell my, since I'm in a heavily Republican area, uh, when when Republicans tell me they 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 usually think they're libertarians for one, and I have to disabuse them of that. But uh, <laughs> when they say, you know, like, well, what's so different about you? I was like, well, you know, those things you believe about, um, you know, property and personal individual rights and and personal liberties. I actually believe those things. So, you know, because a lot of times when it comes down to an issue, like, well, you, well, this common sense gun control, we do need that. Like, no, you know, we don't (laughs) call it common sense. Doesn't make it common sense. I have a right to defend myself and nobody has the right to infringe that. I'm, if I'm a peaceful person and I'm not aggressing on people like uh, that, but even, you know, that's, that's the difference in being principled that sometimes, you know, things don't necessarily work to your advantage, but you have principles and you maintain
0: them. My favorite argument. <laughs> We're so far off topic. This is fun though. I, love I guess
1: it. so. I'm sorry. I got,
0: <laughs> no, it's no big deal. I'm having fun. I'm having fun <laughs> with it. I, I honestly, if, if my, if you listen to my uh, vets for, for volunteerism talk, we we talked loosely about some stuff, but we mostly mm-hmm. just shared stories and bullshit, and it was awesome. <laughs> uh, I think the only time I actually had a full on like, like actual talk with somebody was my first my my first interview, and and I don't even so much that I didn't do a whole lot of talking, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's um, what I was gonna say is um, the biggest argument I get against libertarianism from especially older like. Older Gen Xers virtually boomers is oh you just want to be able to do drugs right I'll do drugs now right We're gonna do drugs just because they're legal right I mean
1: my, my ex has never done any he, he's he's never been drunk. he's he, he drinks alcohol but he's never been like sloppy he's re- drunk.
0: he's responsible
1: He's never <laughs> he's never smoked weed or done any other illicit you know so-called illicit drug in his life. And he is pro-individual freedom, which means that if you're not harming someone, you get to do with your, your property, which is your body, whatever you deem appropriate. And nobody can stop you from doing that because they don't like it. Um, so, I, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an issue that people have been taught that these things... I mean, look, we didn't have a huge heroin problem when heroin was available on the market. Like, there have always been some people who are going to be, you
0: know, you, ab- abuse things. Or but doctors that are going to overuse it on patients or right, that kind of thing like they do heroin, with morphine.
1: Heroin used to be in cough syrup, children's cough syrup especially. Um, it's a really great cough remedy, actually. It's really good for that. Uh, cannabis used to be <clears throat> the go-to. Um first treatment for most doctors in this country because it doesn't harm you and they knew it 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 helped a lot of issues and it wouldn't hurt you so they would say try this first and if it doesn't fix the problem or doesn't make it where it's bearable then come back and we'll try something else so um those weren't big problems that the, the drug war has created the hard uh drug you know hard drugs and the type of abuse that we have today um it, it's you know that's another thing that would require more time than we have to get into that here but
0: oh absolutely
1: <laughs> the drug war has been a bigger problem than any drug addiction could ever be and the the way to treat drug addicts is not to throw them in jail there are so many um wicked uh incentives in that situ- scenario that it's it's just it will we've, blow your mind
0: we've already got enough enough drug criminals and in right. jail that shouldn't be there because they didn't hurt anybody but themselves. Right. Even yeah. the ones dealing drugs, I'm like, but yeah. they sold it mean, to a consenting adult.
1: And the conservative is again, I believe in you know, uh, personal right. You know, prop. I, I believe in what is it? Uh, individual liberty, and unless people are doing drugs and. You know, yeah. Or unless they're gay, unless they're having and homosexual sex, then I want to regulate that. I want to. Oh, yeah. Or they're yet.
0: trans. I don't want them in my bathroom.
1: Right. It's you know, it's all the the things that it's are. All the
0: spook tactics. See how much they can scare somebody into following what they want. Right. And honestly, I don't think that's the normal mental thought of a a, a sane person. I think that's just what the glowing glowing box tells them.
1: Yeah, I, know. I mean people want they do desire power over other people and when you give them a mechanism to do that that is the state then that grows the state's power because they start using that rather than talking to their neighbors oh their grass is too long well I'm going to call the authorities call the city on them rather than go over next door and talk to my neighbor and say hey can you cut your damn grass Like call the
0: authorities whether
1: neighborly. it's like the
0: city or the freaking HOA or whatever right. uh,
1: and, and instead of being neighborly maybe they're they're hurt maybe you could mow their grass for them how about that you know, there's, there's different, uh, th- that that's part of the destruction of, of, you know, neighborhoods and communities, which also is, you know, leads to, to depression, which I guess is our, our subject. <laughs>
0: What's yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> think <laughs> that's what it is.
1: But the breakdown of society that is caused by the state is, it's, you see it more and more, like the more you, you look at it. I remember... Two, you know, harsh quotes, my libertarian friends, LP, Liber- Libertarian Party people, big L libertarians, said to me, you just you just blame the state for everything. And I was like, but I see it. Like, you may not see it, but once you start to look at it, like, I don't blame them for everything, but almost everything, right? They oh, have yeah. a hand in so many of the problems that we're, we see. Um, and, you know, it's not to say that there's a utopia without the state. We don't believe that. But there's certainly... Um, things that the state does that contribute to more and more problems because anytime you intervene there are always unintended consequences and um, especially when you believe, you intervene on things for political reasons because some group has this you know whatever group left right whatever has a wants to moralize against other people and what they're doing then you know you're just creating, setting yourself up for more problems than the initial problems
0: absolutely like um, when we were – I'm sure <laughs> it was still this way when you were a kid. They always said uh, it takes a village to raise a child, right? So your neighbor might catch you doing something wrong. And they might tell your parents, but they might just – even some of them would subtly punish you. I had a neighbor whip my ass a couple of times. Yeah. I remember <laughs> my mom taking
1: some kid in the storm.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I saw that too. <laughs> but a lot of times – I remember – I had a neighbor maybe do some chores around his house Uh because I was doing something stupid. I mean, and it taught me something and it was still punishment. And then he did tell my parents that I screwed up and I ended up getting, getting whipped at the house too. But he didn't whip me. He just made me do stuff around his house, which was more effective. Honestly, if you really, really want me to look back at it, it's, You made me work, right? I'm be a little pissed off. I'm not going to fuck <laughs> up. again. You whip me. I'm going to do it despite you.
1: Yeah. I remember playing, you know, we used to play outside until, you know, well into the dark and, and, but like my, my neighbors, and I didn't live in the greatest, you know, neighborhood, but my, my neighbors would be like, are, are you supposed to be up here? Does your mom know you're up here? Does your mom know you're, you know, like they would sort of take care of us, you know, and make sure that we were where we we're supposed to be And our, our mom knew and, but tell us maybe you should go back down closer to your house or Yeah, and
0: we don't whatever. have that nowadays. We don't have that sense of community anymore because and we have partially because of the state. But I
1: think a lot also of also
0: because people are so freaking bitter towards each other.
1: Right. Well it's the influence. That's the thing. It's not the state doesn't make some woman because you told their child, Hey, don't don't run into the street and, and then she comes down here and, and cusses you out. This happened to a friend of mine actually. The kids were riding their bikes like crazy and not looking when they were popping out of side streets and stuff. And my friend said to him, Hey, you guys are going to get hurt. You need to pay attention and, you know, maybe ride your bikes just in this one street, whatever. The mom came down there and was cussing her and everything. That's not the state making her do that, but it's that kind of mentality that it's contributed to where you don't get to, you know, tell my kid or whatever. And like, yeah, I get some of that. You know, I'm, i i I'm a mama bear in some instances, but I want my community looking out for my kids, you know, I mean, it,
0: for me, it would all depend on how they did it. I mean, if they yelled at the kid,
1: right? Yeah, exactly. It was like, cussing
0: them out. yeah, I'm going to go down there. I'm going to rip him a new one. But he said, right. Hey, you, you need to be careful popping out of the side streets like that. Just giving them a, a calm warning saying, Hey, you're right. going to get hurt. That's different. Yeah. I'd probably it's, smack my kid upside the head and say, yeah, it's the they're scary, right.
1: This busybody do goodering that, that comes from, from the top down, you know, like you'll get, That's what politicians are constantly doing and the do goodering and getting involved in people's lives. And well, you, you don't know how to raise your kids. You don't know how to do this. We've got to, we've got to have home inspections now to make sure that kids aren't being abused. Not that, you know, we should just take, you know, like people should be aware of cases of abuse. No, we want to check on everybody just to make sure there's no abuse going on. And then they get to set the terms of what that abuse is. So there's like, there's all these subtle ways that they influence people to behave. Like I said, when, when you're, you know, the neighbor's grass is long and instead of talking to them, you call the city that's not the state doing that. That's you. You're responsible for that action, but it's certainly the influence of having that power there exactly. that you can go to anonymously and get your neighbor in trouble for doing something you don't like instead of having to have the harder conversation, doing the more human thing and walking next door and saying, "Hey, your grass is really long and we're getting you a lot of some bugs." Help or... You know, yeah, like what's going on? Can we help you? Like, wh- you know, just just bringing it to their attention. So, that that's been one of the ways that it's broken down, but
0: yeah. So, on the depression topic again, <laughs> how, what do you find find is the easiest? Uh, like, not I guess it's not easiest. What do you find the most helpful for when you get in your funk to yeah. kind of get out of it? Like stepping back and you know just trying to look at the picture out of your own head, or
1: right getting,
0: I, getting drunk cause that's my, my solution.
1: Uh, so I guess what I've found and and I guess one of the things I didn't say is that I've, I've suffered on and off with depression since I was a child. Um, and, and I've got, you know, over the years you start to learn the things that sort of trigger those things in you and, and how to avoid them sometimes and maybe not go so far down, but, um, I, what I've really learned is that when I start to feel that coming on, um that I have to really just be a good friend to myself. Like what would I do for a friend who was experiencing something like this? What would I want for them? And then I try to to do that for myself. So I think one of the main things is sleep. Um, i'm 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 sort of an insomniac and night owl anyways, like that's, yeah, I know that's that's a. <laughs> They used to say, like, this is one of the things that I was reading this Harvard Harvard study on it, that they, they used to view sleep disorders as a symptom of mental health problems. But what they found is that a lot of times, like most times, that the sleep problems are a contributor to those mental health problems. So they either raise the risk for them or directly contribute to the development of some psychiatric disorders. So, um sleep is really, really closely linked. Good sleep is closely linked to good mental health and poor sleep is closely linked to, to, or did I say that, to poor mental health. So, um, one of the the things that I'm, I'm trying to get better about, and I, I have been doing okay last night. I didn't get very much sleep, but, um, is, is getting better, more and be, a better quality sleep. And so, um, the first time I ever heard this term, my brother has narcolepsy. So um, one of the things that he has to be concerned with is called sleep hygiene. And this is something that can help most people because most Americans are deprived of sleep, right? Like that's one of the things that a lot of people don't get good sleep. Um, So uh, one of the things is good sleep hygiene. And that's like, Having a routine before you go to bed where you unwind, not being on a screen or having a screen with a, a blue light diffuser so that it doesn't affect you. Like, cause those, those waves, you know, the light wave yeah. from the the electronics, they disrupt your, your sleep, your circadian rhythms and stuff. So that's really important. So maybe just picking up a book and reading it or having a, you know, on your tablet or Kindle, whatever, having a filter so that you can read and help yourself unwind you know doing those things for yourself whatever it is some kind of routine that helps you before you go to bed to start to calm down and just like we do with babies i think anybody who's raised a baby knows you know you have the the sleep routine so they start okay now it's going to be time to sleep soon they start getting ready you know you do the the bath and the cuddles and the reading and whatever it is you do yeah. um, that we that we still those are good things to do for adults as well <clears throat> um Absolutely. making sure that you know, lights are off and the phones shut off, where you're not going to be hearing little dings for messages or vibrations and stuff. Um, just those kinds of things that really help you get a peaceful, restful sleep. Um, I think alcohol is one of the things that actually is not great for sleep, if I remember oh, no, it's correctly. Not. It's not. <laughs> you're
0: right.
1: A lot of people feel tired and they drink or whatever, but it doesn't actually help for restful sleep. Um, so it's definitely not a long-term solution. I, I'm not going to moralize you and say, "Oh, don't ever drink," or oh, it's no. not a, like sometimes maybe a drink helps, you know, take the edge off or whatever. But for a long-term solution, you got to you know come up with something better because it's not you good to for change you. Change your habits. Yeah, and um, you're, you're when you have chronic chronic sleep deprivation, you know, it really sets the stage for. Negative self-talk, negative thinking, and being really emotionally vulnerable. So those are are things that you you're more resilient when you have better sleep. so that's that's a really huge thing for me is trying to get my sleep in order um, because the, I have arthritis as well. so it, sometimes that that keeps me from sleeping well, but trying to figure out the things that I can do to help with that, um, are, are really good. Also trying to eat well when I'm not, when I'm getting depressed, I generally don't eat as well as I should, but that, that really does help and contribute to an exercise getting outside. Um, I don't have a huge garden, uh, but I just doing that through this, this latest bout with depression I've had, um, has really helped me a lot. Um, I always like to hike, and that's something, you know, it's good exercise and getting out in the fresh air and the sunshine. But just even, even in my little backyard, um, doing my little gardening in my buckets. <laughs> my ground's too hard to do uh, planting the ground, so I planted it in buckets. And um, it, just caring for those things and being in the sun and being away from from all the other stuff going on has been really good for me. And, and I think that's that's uh, – secondary to that is like being present. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and that really focusing on what you're doing. I know a lot of people think multitasking is a great thing, but actually they found that you're not really generally as effective when you multitask. And it's also not as good for your mental health to have 70 things on your plate right now. It's better to focus on one and get it done and done well and to, to try and do too many things at once. Um, and and that plays into your your mental your mental health as well. So uh that's a really big component I think for for me is trying to like slow down and and do one thing at a time. Um which isn't always possible. I get that, no, but no, also sometimes you can have to. Yeah. I I really like my moving meditation too where I like I I do hoop dance, you know. <laughs> with a hula hoop. <laughs> yeah. So this little this little, you know, this piece of plastic has really helped me because I when I'm doing that and I've got, you know, the music on and I'm I'm in my hoop and I'm just focusing on that. Like that helps relieve that tension of all the other stressors from the day because I'm not thinking about anything but what I'm doing. Right now, my photography is the same way when I really get in the zone doing that. So it can be anything that you're really passionate about and really like that thing that you do that, that you can pass hours and go, Oh my goodness, it's, it's been, you know, five hours. I didn't realize I was doing it. That's the thing. That's where you get into what's called flow, um, or in the zone. And that, that really, that state is really good for you. And it's, it's very high, like super hyper concentrated and, or, you know, as in being concentrating on something and, um, it, it helps relieve stress. So, I think slow down, do that Hugs are another thing. Like, I think a lot of people are touch deprived as well, and there have been a lot of studies of the benefits of just human touch, um and especially hugs. like a twenty second hug is like improves your immune system. It's good for your heart. Like there's all these these things that they've they've seen through these sort of, you know, basic. Human interactions, animal interactions, even you know, you see like apes and how they touch each other a lot, and they'll be you know they sit and pick the bugs out of their hair, like those kinds of social things that people don't do as much anymore because we're busy and we're running here and running there and you know whatever. So those can be really good things if you get you know as many hugs a day as you can get. it's really good. It's good for you.
0: <laughs> I, no, I totally agree. My, my youngest son is uh, autistic, mm-hmm. and his favorite thing to do is hugs, which Aww. is definitely a bizarre thing for, you know, a special needs child because a lot of times they're not so affectionate. Mm. But that kid loves hugs.
1: Yeah. So Maybe I, it helps him. anxiety. Home.
0: Well, it, he likes the, the pressure. Yeah. So it helps him wind down too.
1: Right.
0: And I have anxiety problems.
1: Mm-hmm. So –
0: Hey, I'll give you a hug. You give me a hug. We both calm down. Right. And, and sometimes I don't even realize I'm amped up. Right. And, and he just comes over and asks for a hug and he'll hang out and we'll hug.
1: Yeah. And sometimes and and no, he will
0: just sit on my lap and I'll put my arm around him and, you know, kind of squeeze him and I mean, tickle him or whatever. And then then I feel better and he feels right. better. And it's just all good.
1: Yeah. And I think especially men like. Women, I, I think we tend to be more to not all women, but you know, more touchy-feely and and whatever. But I think not a, a lot of men don't get a lot of physical touch, especially from other men. Like they in these studies, they showed that it didn't matter who the hug came from, whether it was a romantic friendship or you know whatever. It it just having that uh, human interaction, human touch was good for you, um, <clears throat> and. I, I think a lot of men don't get enough touch, period. Um and oh,
0: that's then gay.
1: Yeah, like with, with women, like I'm always hugging my kids and stuff and you know, um I, I just don't know that a lot of men do that. And it's something they really maybe should should do more of because it's I mean, really even good those for you.
0: Half man hugs fucking are awesome. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. I, I go in for a handshake and get a half man hug. Right, it still boosts my spirit a little bit because it's like I'm transferring some of my stress onto them, and they're like good with it.
1: Right, it's it's that's that's what human touch does, and so um, those things, I think that's why those weighted blankets work so well for people because it's sort of that that pressure. But you know, you really the the hugs, the human touch is a really good one, and I think um, getting a friend or a family member, or something who will just listen to you when <clears throat> when you need to talk, um. And maybe you say to them, hey, I just need to talk to somebody and you don't have to say anything. I just need somebody to listen. You know, somebody who understands that they don't need to fix your problem. They don't need to, like, come up with a solution. You just need to get it off your chest and listen and maybe get a hug. You know, like,
0: that's
1: that's what you need, that sort of human interaction. Um, And I know a lot of these things are really hard to do when you're – you depressed or whatever. And so absolutely. that's the part where it's being a good friend to yourself is that making yourself do it because you know, like you can, you might not be able to do all those things, but if you can just get outside and take a walk and get some sun and get some fresh air and some, a little exercise that will snowball, you know, that, that one thing right there will help. And then you might be able to then say, okay, I'm going to, I'm gonna, you know, call my friend and talk to them, and and even though I don't want to, but you're gonna do it because you now you've got that little bit of momentum, and so it, it builds and it can help pull you out of, of those those times when you know you just feel like everything's hopeless and you're spiraling down. Um, I, I think those are, those are just really great things to do, but it's all comes under the cat category of being a good friend to yourself. And um, taking care of yourself. So, I know a lot of people like you don't want to f- feel weak or appear weak to other people. But you know, if you have a few people that you can rely on to always talk to and and just really listen to you, and if you need some advice, you can ask them. Those are really great things that you can do for yourself, and it, it does all those things contribute to better mental health. And and you know. People have issues. This is this life is not always pretty, and um, you know it's it's okay. You don't have to be like this solid rock of impenetrable, you know, strength that that never needs anything from anyone else.
0: I know yeah. that's that's actually been a pretty common thing for myself. Mm-hmm. Is that I've always felt that I had to be the strong one in the room. Yeah. Somebody else is crying. Okay, I have to be the supportive, strong one, yeah. and that's just how I've always been. Mm-hmm. Even before the combat thing, then that's actually kind of why I started this podcast is to help give somebody an outlet. To su- mm-hmm. I mean, it's why I have the the, the surviving the suck Facebook page
1: yeah. with a
0: message a messaging option so you can shoot me a message if you need to talk. Yeah, I mean, I'm that kind of guy. I suffer with this. I've lost people to it, and I just want to make sure that I can help somebody if they need that help.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and you understand it's not weakness. Like it's, it's, we're, we're human animals and there are things that are traumatic to us and that cause certain reactions in us. And that's okay. It doesn't make you weak because that happened to you. Um, and I, I think that, you know, it's probably generally a problem more for men than women because the, the whole, you know, men don't cry type thing. And, and I'm not, not saying you don't have to be who you are, but just recognize that there are things that are working against you in culture or whatever that, you know, if you could be more open up more, be a little more vulnerable to. I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty weak right now or feeling pretty crappy right now and I need somebody to talk to or I need a hug like those are OK things to say. It doesn't make you less of a man.
0: Absolutely. All right. (laughs) It went quiet for a second. I was like, wait a second. I thought I lost you. No. no. (laughs) All right. I was actually thinking, um, we're pretty far in. Um, you want to run, run your plugs and we'll cut the end on it.
1: So, um, I, I, well, I I, I still have the Sherry voluntary show Facebook page. If uh, anybody would like to subscribe to that, um, that'd be great and uh, I will be putting up interviews such as this one that people do I have sort of a backlog right now I need to put up there but uh, <laughs> yeah um, and uh, I, I do a show called postcards from Somalia with my friend Alan who also has a show called it's too late um, and we on on postcards from Somalia we're just sort of give our opinions and blow off steam it's not really meant to win hearts and minds of new people it's meant for us to just be able to say what we want to say and and, you know release some of that stress (laughs) that we get uh dealing in with this stuff and then um i will be speaking at i'll be on a panel about uh the non-aggression principle and libertarianism voluntarism at uh freedom fest in las vegas july 13th through the 16th so If you'd like to check me out there and you can check out my new, um, I'll have a new show coming up soon on um, the new network called funny broke. So you can check that out on Facebook.
0: That is awesome.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I'm on Facebook. Like you just look Sherry voluntary. You'll find everything I'm involved with. I think I'm the only one. So
0: you're, I'm pretty sure you're the only one. (laughs) And as for me, I've got the surviving the suck Facebook page or you can, Look up Chuck and We may even be friends on Facebook already. <laughs> uh, and you can message me if you got problems. I'm more than willing to talk to you. If you know somebody else that has issues that might want to talk about their issues or just need somebody to talk to whether they want to come on the show or not, it doesn't matter. I'm willing to talk to everybody. Um, my, I actually have gotten new music for the show. Cool. It's very legit. It's done by Nick White Noise. .com. Nick White is freaking awesome. And every day is a freaking victory that you wake up. Every day you wake up is a victory. Let's stumble on through that right. <laughs> and y'all have a good day.